We are encountering silence. Encountering silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be a part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. Dr. Robert Wicks, in his roles as a psychologist, university professor, and public speaker, has helped people take measure of their lives for more than 30 years. Together, he and his clients and students have taken the perspective that, quote, difficult times can offer graced moments in a more striking way than the good times can, end quote. As a faculty member at Loyola University, Maryland, as well as a speaker and teacher at other universities and professional schools of psychology, medicine, nursing, theology, and social work throughout the world, he has guided students and professionals in discovering how to value their strengths, develop a practice of mindfulness, and take charge of their self-care. Dr. Wicks's major area of expertise is the prevention of secondary stress, which encompasses the pressures encountered in reaching out to others. He integrates sound psychology and basic spiritual truths to set the stage for profound personal transformation. A prolific author, Dr. Wicks has published over 50 books, including Riding the Dragon, 10 Lessons for Inner Strength in Challenging Times, and Everyday Simplicity. His most recent book is The Tao of Ordinariness. Humility and Simplicity in a Narcissistic Age. Dr. Wicks, welcome to Encountering Silence. Thank you very much. So I would like to ask the question that we normally ask uh, when we have a guest on. If you could, you know, introduce to us your relationship with silence. What, how do you see your relationship with silence, and do you recall a time maybe in your life when silence became an important thing for you? Well, early in life, uh, even though I'm from New York City, we spent every summer up on a family farm in the Catskills in upstate New York. So silence was part of my journey there, although I didn't really think about it uh, as that. Uh, I spent a lot of time simply fishing or or walking in the woods or being by myself. So silence uh, at that point was a surprise initially, but when you're very young, surprises are brought into your life in ways that are very natural. When you're an adult, it's it's not the same. Mm. So I didn't think much about silence and until uh, I was burning out a bit myself um, and I decided to to go up to Harvard and meet uh, with Henry Nowen to discuss a book that I was writing. Mm. And, and the book at the time I wanted to call uh, Relationships, Nurturing the Gift of Availability. And he said to me, you know, you seem more practical than that. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I am pretty practical. <laughs> And he said, well, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not necessarily a gift, it's a problem. 
And he said, there must be something from scripture that says about it. And I said, well, what, what, what? He said, well, I don't know. I don't know. And if you know Henry or knew Henry, uh, he would swing his arms around and get very emotional. And so we, we chatted a while about my work in supporting helpers and healers. And finally he said, oh, I've got it. I said, but what is it? He said, it's pruning. Mm. When you prune something, it doesn't blossom less. It blossoms more deeply. Yeah. And just before I left him, I said to him, uh, well, what do you, what would be the one thing you could advise me in life, you know, that would be the source of that pruning? And he looked at me like, well, geez, you know, this is a heck of a question to ask just as I'm walking out. And I gave him that look that, you know, that said, I'm not leaving until I get something, you know. <laughs> and uh, so he looked back and he said, I'll tell you what. If you take each day in the morning some time in silence and solitude, and he said, maybe you could, you know, read scripture first, but it's not necessary. But take that period, he said, I think it will center you in a way that nothing else could. Mm-hmm. And and I did. And and what it did is it, it led me to honor that silence even if it's for a couple of minutes, because I believe that it's not length of time that is crucial, though 20 minutes I think would be better. It's a regularity. And when I had that lens in front of my eyes of the importance of silence and possibly solitude, though you can have alone time even in a group if you're reflective, as I would walk through life, I would hear and see things in terms of silence. For example, when I was up on Capitol Hill speaking to some members of Congress and their chiefs of staff, uh, one of the senators was asked, what is the greatest challenge facing the American Congress today? And he surprised everybody with his answer. He said, not enough time to think. And for me, that meant not having that silence where you're clearing out yourself and being truly open and mindful. So even when you take a walk, some people don't take a walk, they take a think, you know, Mm -hmm. they're in a cognitive envelope. But if you truly can be silent and have a kenosis and emptying, uh, then after all of the stuff that's right below the surface is coming at you, goes through you, the dust settles and you have that space to be. So silence has been important in my life for my whole life, really, and has become even more important. Dr. Wicks, just out of curiosity, I'm wondering how your friendship began with Henry Nowen and how that developed into a friendship of someone that you would trust with imparting that kind of wisdom and, and truly heeding it and listening to it. Well, I had read his material and material by Thomas Merton. And it became an interesting connection because later in life, my mentor was Thomas Merton's final abbot, uh, Flavian Burns. Mm -hmm. So there was a connection there and then a connection through his reading. And I thought, what do I have to lose but to contact him and say, you know, could I come up and chat? So it was based on the reading. And then after the meeting with him, we had another face-to-face 
meeting when we were both speaking in Toronto. And then he had a tough time, and I wrote to him during that tough time, so the roles sort of switched. And the connection remained, you know, he'd send me a signed copy of his book, and I would do the same with mine for him. It was a surprising thing, to be honest with you, that that it developed that way. And I was always grateful because it wasn't quantity of time with him, but the quality plus being able to follow his own journey uh, through his books. What I love about this, I never assume that our guests have listened to our past episodes, but in your short answer, you've hit on almost every topic we talk about. Thomas Merton <laughs> has, a, has a huge role in this podcast. We've interviewed people, and Henry Nowen as well. We've interviewed people uh, involved with Nowen, et cetera. Your talk about going off into nature and, and stuff, that's all stuff that we've talked about. So, Well, I just, I just wanted to kind of get into the book a little bit more. And yeah. I know that uh, Dr. Wicks, you, you you told this story, the story that you just shared with us in the book, I think it was in the chapter on um, alone time. Mm. Uh-huh. You, you, t- you tell that story about Henry Nowen and about the kind of the, the theme of pruning. It was just a, a wonderful thing. But what I want to do is maybe pull back a little and just kind of begin with the title of the book. I, I find that even the title is so provocative. Yeah. And, and I'm curious if you could just share with us a little bit about this idea of the Tao of ordinariness. And um, I mean, every word in this title, I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on the, on the narcissism in our culture. And I'm also really curious about why humility and simplicity were the keys that you kind of focused on. I realized I just asked you a three-part question. <laughs> so so, so yeah. let's, let's just... Each part is a killer, too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me take a crack at it. Ordinariness is very important to me. The Tao, the way, uh, you know, of ordinariness, I think is very, very important because it's an attitude, I think. It's, uh, Mm. you know, it, it allows a person to really explore and be intrigued by the current realities and possibilities within themselves. And, you know, we see this ordinariness and this naturalness in children. When I look back at photographs of my own two grandchildren when they were very young, in the book I mentioned as one of my older grandchild, who's now a university freshman, Mm. beaming with joy after unwrapping, you know, a gift of a toy doctor's kit. And Mm -hmm. the younger one, Emily, dancing freely in a red turtleneck and a fancy dress thrown over it and she's holding one arm up to the sky and she has this wondrous look of sheer joy on her face it's this naturalness it's this appropriate transparency and freedom i mentioned the bantu tribesmen they they sought to guide their children toward greater fullness and they would slip into their rooms when they were sleeping and they'd whisper into their ears, become what you are, become what you are. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's very difficult. In silence and solitude, what happens, as, as your listeners know, because you're, you're, you're dedicated to this topic, is that we create a vacuum when we're silent. And nature, as you remember from your science <laughs> courses, abhors vacuums. Yeah. So the pre-conscious that's lying just below it rises up and enters into it. And there we are 
you know, facing our lies, our games, all of that stuff that's lying below the surface. And people often commit three errors. The first is the the problem of arrogance, where they project the blame on everyone else. And, mm. you know, it's fun to give away blame, but when you give away the blame, you give away the power to change. So it's not so good. The second is ignorance, where we condemn ourselves. And I, I think that's, you know, the sin of negative grandiosity, really. I mean, you know, I, I know it's a shock to people in this narcissistic age, but people don't get up in the morning thinking of us. So condemning ourselves makes no sense. It, uh, if you're religious, you know, you, you deep in your heart, you believe that God doesn't condemn you. So why would you be greater than God in your negativity? And the third one is, is discouragement. It's a sense of chronos, secular values, where silence opens us up to something greater. And that's a sense of intrigue about ourselves. I think when we can become intrigued about ourselves, it's, it's wonderful because then it has us not only explore in a psychological sense our major uh, signature strengths, but also allows us to open ourselves to our lesser signature strengths that are, are quiet, quiet talents that need some space to come into the forefront so that we can embrace them and freely share them to others with others without expecting anything in return. But this, this whole sense of narcissism, you know, is, you know, number of likes on, 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 uh, on Facebook or, or, you know, the reputation that people uh, have, uh, you know, about themselves. And, and it doesn't help that in politics and in uh, entertainment and sports that you have that focus on how do we, you know, uh, do our best to enhance how people see us when we, in fact, have not taken the space and time to actually see what we've been given. So silence is very important in terms of finding out who we are. So not just for ourselves, but, but to share ourselves with others as well. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in this 30 seconds of silence. That's, so that's part that's, one. What are the other two parts? Yeah. <laughs> Why the Tao? I'm just curious. What because what it is. It's it's not. You know, we're in such a. People get into the lyrics of life. You know, if you do this or you do that, life becomes perfect for you. Well, it's more than that. It's the music of life. Mm. It's the attitude you have. It's the way you approach things. You know, it's the way you approach people. Carl Buhner once said that 
They may forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. I think that when somebody who knew the Dalai Lama was chatting about him, he said, you know, he would come out into the public, but before he came into the public, it, he had all this time for meditation and reflection. And that was the core of his smile. It wasn't a technique that you might see with somebody trying to sell you something. It was truly a place of peace that he was able to share by the look he gave. And I, I think many of us can identify with that when we see a friend that we really feel is accepting, uh, who's walking down the street. You know, we smile when we see her or him, and we haven't even interacted yet. But, but what we're experiencing is the sense of peace within him, themselves. And one of the greatest gifts we can share with others is a sense of our own peace, but we can't share what we don't have. That's two, Carl. What's the third one? Well, the words humility and simplicity, which, which I think tie in with ordinariness. So, so maybe you've, you've already addressed that. I think on this podcast, we talk a lot about silence and stillness. Simplicity doesn't come up as much. And so I just would be curious as to how you understand simplicity, Dr. Wicks, and, and also what, what your, how you would, would frame this, especially for a young person who has grown up in the social media world and the world of 24-hour cable news and you know, kind of the media overload. Uh, right. where, do we, where do we find simplicity? Well, I think that you know, in terms of the young people today, I think we, we underestimate them. I mean, because mm. I was just in, in, I was asked to go to Germany since most of my work is on resilience, self-care, and maintaining a healthy perspective, mm. the Air Force asked me to go into Germany and speak to, to, to uh, a couple thousand airmen because they've had a 40% increase in suicide yeah. in the Air Force. And the first reaction that I got from some of the officers were, that, you know, they said, the young airmen, they'll be sitting in, in a circle and they're all not talking to each other, but they're they're on their, you know, their phones and they're texting away and they complain about it. And I said, well, that's, that, that's not going to get you anywhere. I said, if you take the resistance on directly, you're going to lose. I said, so when I gave the talk, I said to the airmen something that surprised the officers that weren't present when I had that initial conversation. I said, when I see airmen, young airmen together, and they're all texting I think that that's wonderful because what they're doing is they're really communicating with, with people that are not in front of them. They're looking at the news. So they're in touch with what's going on. They're sharing things that have happened in a cognitive way. But I said, it, you know, texting is not relating. And I said, and then I spoke to them about not simply relating to others, and I gave them four types of friends that they needed in their circle. The prophet that asks what voices are guiding us. The cheerleader who's sympathetic and really a supportive voice. The third who's a harasser or a teaser because on the way to taking what's important seriously, we take ourselves too seriously. And finally, the inspirational friend that calls us to be all that we can be without embarrassing us that we are where we are. But the other kind of relating is with ourselves. 
And I think that silence allows us to have a more genuine conversation with ourselves. And it also allows us to really have a space for those of us who are religious to relate to God or for the atheistic, a sense, have a sense of oneness with the world. If we're artificial, you know, what, what Merton would call maybe the false self, then it's not true. It's not a true relationship. You know, whereas the silence and solitude helps us be clear and sort things out, helps us to see our foibles and increases our enjoyment in being with ourselves. We're with ourselves more than anyone else in life. And, and it, it helps us have less dependence on the reinforcement of others and to recognize our games and anger, entitlement, greed, cowardice, and also our gifts. Uh, and it helps us accept change and loss because it takes time to adjust and grieve. And it, in, in, in Nouwen's language, it makes us more in tune with the voice of God that has been drowned out by the values of society that may not be good ones. So young people today, I think, have a possibility. As a matter of fact, it's interesting on youth retreats where their cell phones are taken away and, and they have periods of silence, sometimes in church, sometimes walking in nature. At the end, when they're asked for an evaluation, it's not unusual to say the best thing was when I had that quiet time in church or you asked me to just walk off and, and not think but experience what's in front of me. So young people have great possibilities. The question is how do we enhance those possibilities rather than destroy them? Yeah, Dr. Wicks, in your book, when you write more about simplicity, you write, simplicity and one of its closest relatives, asceticism, calls us to drop what is unnecessary or requiring too much energy. This is done not to avoid the necessary challenges or miss the joyful experiences of, of life, but to the contrary, to clean one's psychological and sensual palates. And you go on to write, asceticism helps us increase our sensitive sensitivity to life's small gifts. Sometimes simplicity even trumps education because it engenders wisdom and another seemingly rare gift today, common sense. And on this topic of simplicity, it's really interesting that we live in this world today where things like simplicity and silence and solitude and these great vast meeting places of infinite spaciousness seem to be deemed a rich person's reward. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit to accessibility of simplicity. It seems to me that the people who are in maybe um, visual or aesthetical simplified situations seem to have the hardest time or the most difficult accessibility to these things of silence and solitude. You know, they can't afford retreats or they're a single parent that is busy all the time. I wonder if you could just speak a little bit more to that, that accessibility piece. Well, actually, I find the opposite. I agree that they don't have the financial wherewithal to say, I'm going to take a weekend off or even a full day off in many cases. But they have a naturalness about them. In the sense, I remember Kathleen Norris writing in Dakota, which I felt was her best book. 
because it was her least affected book. It was, she was being a poet at her heart and she was speaking about the Dakota as a spiritual geography. And I remember her saying in it that, you know, talking about the people of Dakota where they would look out over the spaciousness or see a storm coming, you know, over the hills and, uh, you know, the, the small hills that are in the distance. And she would, you know, speak about they could afford appreciating silence, solitude, and nature. Because people who are have funds are often caught in the possessions. They're caught in the thinking, and they don't have that sense of simplicity uh, and and humility. You know, I remember there was a fellow that in World War II I read about that they couldn't break him in the Japanese camp. And they finally later they were looking at why they couldn't break him. And it was because of his simplicity. He knew who he was. He was integrated. And that integration gave him a sense of, well, this is, this is all who I am. And, and so he didn't, they couldn't get between him and his ego. They, they, he was just who he was. And that's, to me, the interesting thing and why the book is so important. It's the same thing with humility. When we take knowledge and add humility uh, and we get wisdom, and when we add that wisdom to compassion, we get love, and love is at the heart of life, and for many of us, God is love. And that humility comes not from you know denying yourself of who you are, but it has that simplicity of recognizing both your gifts and growing edges with a sense of equanimity. And when you have that, it, it's an amazing thing. Like a patient will say to me, you know, will, will feel defensive and, and say, you know, things about me because they've been peeping me for weeks, you know, every week. They'll say something that's true and negative about me to get me off them. Uh, and I would respond if I'm in this place of simplicity and mindfulness and humility, I would respond, yes, that may be true about me, but what's the reason you're mentioning it now? So that it keeps you off spending all this energy on defending yourself. With patients that I see for psychotherapy or mentoring, you know, I remind them that once they can accept their limits as a human being, their ordinariness, the opportunity for personal growth and development is almost limitless. Why? Because they're not wasting their energy, you know, being in this interpersonal mirror, trying to constantly please this audience that's in front of them. It, it's, it's an amazing thing when people truly see who they are. So would you say then, trying to make the connection, that this goes back to your idea Carl's answer before question before about Tao that that it's not it's not so much um, about the lyrics it's about the music it's that you're, you're what you're describing here in your answer to me it's about those people who maybe because of the situation they're in um, or because of you know life has forced it on them or something they've learned to be part uh, to go with the path as opposed to identify with the lyrics you know so. Because it, it sounds to me like, it, 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 hear, just hearing your answer, it sounds to me like you're not talking about rich or poor so much as you're talking about people who 
somehow embrace this simplicity uniting with what is. That seems, is that right? Or am I reading into what you're saying? No, I think because what is, there's so much more there than, than people, people can embrace. Because if it, you know, they, they've confused comfort and security with peace. So as a result, they'll run away from the now or they'll deny the now or distort the now rather than look it in the face and, and say, well, what is? And, and, and then what do I do with that? Say, what, what do I do with that now? I think that sense of, of silence does, helps us do that. If Anne Lamott, you know, I enjoy her stuff because she can just see things and she's too much, I tell you. She said once, <laughs> almost anything will work again if you unplug it for a few minutes, including you, uh, you know. But then she went on to say why we don't do it. She said, my mind is like a bad neighborhood. I don't like to go there alone. So <laughs> the sense of how we, how we enter that silence is important. And that's why I spend, you know, a chapter on alone time and also a chapter on mentoring because, you know, it does help for us to have people in our lives that, that can stand with us alongside us who, in a sense, don't ask us to have faith in them, but they obviously have faith in us. And uh, uh, so silence is, as you can see, very simple and very, but also takes a number of things into account. Part two of this interview will continue in the next episode. We are encountering silence. I'm Kevin Johnson. To learn more about me, please visit kevinmichaeljohnson.com. I'm Carl McCollman. Find out about my work at carlmccollman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. My website is cassidyhall.com. Please visit the podcast's website at encounteringsilence.com. There you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on this podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit Patreon.com slash Encountering Silence to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters. Our circle of supporters help tremendously in sharing our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all-too-noisy world. Thank you.